What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, January 17th, 2021. This week's episode, the McGregor vs. Poirier 2 preview. We'll be going over everything that happened at UFC on ABC, especially that main event between Max Holloway and Calvin Cater. We'll go over the latest in the world of MMA. Leon Edwards versus Edward versus Hamza Chemaev is the third time the charm. Also, USADA making uh, some significant changes that I think are going to impact a lot of fighters. And of course, the thing you guys are tuning in for, we will look ahead to this coming Saturday's card between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. And we'll also have a pit stop on Wednesday to talk a little bit of Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. How did you like getting to watch yesterday's fights on free TV? Okay, so I got very hyped. I got very hyped to see the fans. <laughs> I got very hyped that, you know, it was actually on just ES, just on ABC. I didn't even have to keep clicking to ESPN. Um, I will admit I had to catch a little bit of stuff after the fact. I had a previous engagement, but I did make sure. No spoilers. I didn't check my phone. I got home, didn't check my Twitter, didn't go on Instagram, didn't go on Facebook, didn't open any web browser at all. So I was able to catch everything and be surprised by the results. What about you? How did you like it? So, of course, I was very excited last week. And then at some point, I was like, wait a minute, they're in Abu Dhabi, right? So this fight is not going to be like at night, which is what I kept imagining in my head. Okay, so it's at noon. That's fine. Still lots of people at home. It was great. It was very exciting. You know what kind of bothered me, though? At least in um, in SoCal area here, they uh, as soon as the fight was over, like they were done at, at uh, 2.58. As soon as it was over, they cut to an infomercial about airbrush makeup. And I was like, that's what you're going to play after the fight? Like, nothing else you have on your programming to, like, I don't know, kind of go with MMA or just something better than an, uh, an infomercial about airbrush makeup. So that was weird. The, anyway. the airbrush people probably paid a lot of money for that Saturday <laughs> primetime slot, Natalie. That's the right market. You know, you watch Max Holloway, Calvin Cater beat themselves up. Or, you know, Max Holloway beat up Calvin Cater. They're trying One to, of them's going to probably need some airbrushing after that, right? They're trying to get all the, you know, the older demographic that's used to tuning into ABC on Saturday. I guess um, so. That was weird. But otherwise, awesome. Let's uh, see more of that, right? Let's get into the main event before we lose too many people on airbrushing. Um, let's. I, I. I'm trying to find the right word for it. Um, I almost said the word transcendent, and I think if Max had done that to Volkanovski, I would definitely go that far. Um, I. Have you seen the new Disney movie Soul that they're promoting a lot? No, but I know what you're talking about. You know, so, you know, very popular right now. In the zone does not cut it. He was... You have the all-time greats 
every so often they just are in that space that is just, you know what, sit down, shut up, and just watch. Max Holloway was in that zone yesterday. He absolutely put the beatdown of beatdowns on Calvin Cater. If I'm not mistaken, they said that he landed a record number of significant strikes on Calvin. Uh, Mind you, Calvin is a guy with one-shot stopping power. Calvin is the guy who put down Jeremy Stevens like cold, you know. And Max Holloway just gave him the biz... I'm not going to talk about this round, that round. He just put it on him. Um, There were a few times I thought that, you know, Calvin was still in the fight. You know, he'd wind up and he'd just crack Max pretty good, but... When you got to the end of it and you just look at the damage he put on him, it's like, dude, you know, you could have put probably one of the welterweights in there and Max still would have taken at least a split decision. He was that good last night. Yeah, unbelievable, you know, reborn Max Holloway and um, the the significant strikes, I think it was like over 700. Um or hold on, this year a total strikes attempted seven hundred forty six, according to uh, something John Anik posted. He says significant strikes landed four hundred forty five. So he broke all kinds of records. I mean, body strikes, distance strikes, the combinations he was throwing and the way he was attacking the body, just beautiful. And that scorecard, dude. I mean, DC couldn't believe it. Neither could I. Most people probably couldn't. Fifty forty two, fifty forty three, fifty forty two. Never seen, never seen that in my life. A fifty forty two. I mean, that's three um, ten eight rounds. If I'm doing my that's math three, right, three ten eight rounds. Yeah. Exactly, unbelievable. This was a sublime performance. I mean, you know, when Brian Ortega came out and, and fought the Korean Zombie, you were everyone was like, "Oh my God, it's a brand new Brian Ortega! Holy moly, he looks completely different." You know, apart from you know not having his hair, but his fight style and everything, his composure. But Max Holloway, man, he just came out like a boss. He had zero fear. The showboating at the end, unreal. I mean, I was getting really nervous, though, when he was, like, talking to – he was talking to DC. I don't know who he was talking to. That was making me very nervous because, as you pointed out, Calvin Cater, at least each round he landed one or two good shots that anybody else would have fallen to. He cracked him with an uppercut, some great uh, hooks. I mean, there were definitely bombs there that Holloway just withstood. But he was in complete control the entire time, never feared – just flowing pure flow man it was amazing amazing i hope mike's holloway is on cloud nine right now and like if he never fights again like you can always say one of the greatest because just from that performance unbelievable yeah i think that um i mean that moment in the fifth round uh just uh i I think that we're a little spoiled by social media now that all these clips are always readily available every day but you know, it almost takes away from just like watching that happen live with the just want to talk about it. That fifth round, he's slipping punches while he's talking to DC and the commentators. It's like, damn. I mean, what do you say about that? He was just really there dialed in. And um, yeah, I think that, um, look, I mean, they don't like to give the little guys as much love for their devastating firepower. You cannot tell me that is not one of the craziest moments in mixed martial arts. When you think about, honestly, how 
just dialed in you have to be that you are dodging punches literally while you're not looking at your opponent and you're having words with the commentator. I mean, that was, like you said, just the next level of Max Holloway just on display. Uh, Do you have anything else to add? Because we could certainly talk about how cool that was, but I think people want to know what's next for him. Yeah, no, I I said my piece um, because it's just, there's not much else to say. If if you want to know more, go watch the fight again. Like that, that would be the best thing. To what do. did you think when you started talking and slipping punches? I got nervous, bro. I was like, oh no, 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 no! And after all this, you can't end. You can't go out this way. Like, don't get caught, man. <laughs> that I'm, was my first thought. I, I did um, have a few flashbacks. You know, Korean zombie buzzer beater. It's like, dude, yeah. it can happen. Clearly, uh, but then. It, it reminded me is that you know okay I won't get I won't talk about this for too much but if you recall when I was in labor with my boy Joe Max Holloway man that's what I was thinking about I was thinking about that moment when he told Ricardo Lamas meet me in the middle let's fight right here last 10 seconds and so when I was seeing Max Holloway doing this badass thing I was like yeah that's the guy that's why that's why I was channeling Max Holloway you know because he's just he's just incredible I talked to Max the the other day. I could have totally brought this up. I can't believe I forgot that. That image. I mean, people would judge me forever on the call, but it might it might just have been worth it. It's like Max, I have something to tell you. My co-host when they were in labor, (laughs) and he would have been like, "Hey," he probably been like, "Hey, that's what's up, brother." (laughs) Yeah, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) Um. So look. what do you do with Max Holloway? So uh, I, I think quite bluntly, if Ortega does defeat Volkanovski, they're throwing Max in there. Everything Dana White said at the post-fight press conference, everything we've come to know. Um, I think the fact that you literally had him lose back-to-back fights to Volkanovski and it was still being entertained at any level, a possible trilogy says just about everything you need to know about the possibility. E- even Dana White, like, you listen to him and he was, he didn't even completely write off the idea of a third straight fight, even though Max lost them back-to-back. And I think that says a lot to, obviously, his resume. 12-fight uh, win streak. Um, a lot of people have him as the best featherweight of all time. All respect to Jose Aldo, but Max did get him twice. And, you know, you just add all this up, you add that performance, I see zero hesitation that the UFC will give him an immediate shot at Ortega if he were to win. That being said, let's say Volkanovski wins. I know Dana White is talking about the trilogy. It's not that it wouldn't be a good fight, it would be another fantastic fight, but I'll just say it bluntly, Natalie... It is hard for you to sell me that thing another time. I mean, yes, we could watch it every week, but here's the thing. You're talking about getting a large amount of people to pay their hard-earned money to pay for it every week or every month with pay-per-view. That's the problem. So what are your thoughts on what just where we're at with Max? Well, it's... It's got to be Ortega or Volkanovski. Looking at the at the rankings, nobody else like even deserves to fight him. He's so he's so awesome and was so good yesterday. So beat Yair, right? I don't know if that's I can't remember now where we left off on that it being official or not. But they've been off for a year, and that's that's who you know they're sort of still circling each other anyway. If it's not official, and then nobody else nobody else makes sense. So 
It's got to be Ortega. It's got to be Volkanovski. I'm happy to see both, though. So I actually disagree with you on the Volkanovski end. I have no problem seeing that for a third time because I think Holloway won the second one, uh, the second fight, and just the performance he put on. Like, how can you not want to see that now? Okay, will people want to pay for that? People that aren't you and me? Oof. I think if they saw Max perform yesterday, they would. I think they would. I'd like um, to point out Dana White is also, when you talk about pay, and I'm just going to throw this out there, people, because I know I know you're out there. No judgment, but you know who you are. Dana White went from the single barrel to the double barrel pointing of his firearms at piracy of UFC events. He has <laughs> doubled down. So if you're thinking, well, I don't watch nothing, it's like, you know, it put it this way. We all know all streams are not created equal. So Dana White is trying to make sure that you ain't you are not going to be as successful as you were before. Period. Well, you know, I mean, not everyone is week. nice and honest like you, Natalie. That's all I'm I saying. Know, I'm such a schmuck. Gosh. Uh, so <laughs> here's my thing. I don't even know where to go. <laughs> here's my thing with the uh, the Volkanovski is that you know what you got to respect Alex. I believe he's on a double digit probably about 15 or 16 the last time I checked. I apologize to Alex because you are on a fantastic one. But he is in a very ridiculous win streak as well. And although it's not all dating back in UFC, the fact is he is riding, you know, stop Chad Mendes, beat Jose Aldo in Brazil, back-to-back uh, -back wins over Max Holloway. You think about him beating Brian Ortega. I'll just say it bluntly, as much as he knows that's out there, you can't tell me that that's going to be just his priority. I think similar to the whole Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, it's like, how many times are we going to do this in succession, you know? Now, the problem is, obviously, Max and Alex are in the same weight class. I'm going to give it food for thought. If they make it a third time, like I said, it's still a great fight. I'll be honest right now, I was not enthusiastic about when they made an immediate 170 rematch with Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor, and when I got done with it, I was like, dang, that was so awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I was, I, I was stupid. What was I saying? You know, I'll admit that now. I'm sure I'll feel the same way when we get to a third possible Alex versus Max booking. But in terms of short-term future, I will say this. If Volkanovski wins, and I do believe that they are setting that, um, they're waiting to see what happens, I can see them throwing, uh, you know, if Ortega wins, they'll go max. If Alex wins, I could see them doing something like try to get uh, Zabit or Volkanovski, sorry, Zabit and Yair booked and get them into the title fight depending on Volkanovski's uh schedule just because I do think that at the end of the day Alex may want somebody else um they may even give him Zabit or Yair straight up and then give uh the other guy Max Holloway I know what you're saying and if he wants to wait for it I can get that too but I just see Alex wanting to fight at least one more guy before Holloway and respectfully, that would make him the most money also. That would make both of them. So, you know, Volkanovski wants to be everything he can be. Quite bluntly, you have to beat more guys besides Max Holloway to get there. Yeah, I like your points, man. I can't argue with that.
I mean, you could, but then we'll be here well, all day. Well, okay. I, here's what I can say. Is <laughs> you make a great point about, about Alexander Volkanovsky probably not wanting to fight Max Holloway again. I just think it would be a travesty to put Max on ice. For how, I mean, for when would he be able to fight next if he doesn't immediately fight the winner of Holloway Ortega? Okay, okay, of course, if Ortega wins, easy. But if Volkanovski wins, or not Holloway Ortega, Volkanovski Ortega, if Volkanovski wins, I got it. If I'm the UFC, I say, sorry, Alex, uh, we're not really going to care what you think on this one. We're going to give you max. But that's just me. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much of a travesty would it be if hypothetically Volkanovski beats Ortega? They go Yair Volkanovski and then Holloway Zabit. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is that? 10 being the worst. That's like a 7. I'd even put it lower because I really think that if Zabit... Look, Zabit's a wild dude when he's dialed in too. I think that, you know, to be all you could be, you'd have to fight them anyway. And I think that if you think about Max beating Zabit and then Volkanovski coming off wins over Ortega and Yair... I mean, suddenly we're talking about, you know, you don't even need other title fights on that card, right? So that that would be my personal preference is that after getting two back to back, I'm actually ready to see more people get in get in this game because the featherweight division, I will admit, it, it kind of needs a bit of a more parody with more of these guys up at the top of getting in on the action after two years, you know? That's that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, it could use a little uh, a little more mojo for sure. But then it's like it could use it in the in the you know second half of the top ten. But the top five, um, I mean, they're pretty good, man. Max Holloway is shining bright right now. Brian Ortega already did his had his moment, and uh, Volkanovski, well, he's got the gold. So <sighs> I hate when we gotta say we'll see what happens. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, real quick. So a lot of good stuff. Uh, Lee Jiang Leung, the leech. This guy is underappreciated. I love his game, though. Knocks out Ponzinibbio, who, um, you know, congratulations just making it back. I mean, if you don't know what that man went through, Google it. Uh, I don't know if you're religious, but if you are, say a few words. Because, my goodness, when you read what that man went through and, you you know, you're... You're discussing he may not be able to take a nice, healthy run again, let alone fight in a cage in a fist fight again. And he got back out there. That's a big deal. But Lee obviously took that big leap in the welterweight division with the win. Um, obviously, the one that shocked everybody, uh, DeSherico, uh knocking out Joaquin Buckley in the first round. Um, uh, one, three-fight three losing streak. He was clearly brought in to build up Joaquin Buckley. Every now and then, you know, there are no easy fights in the UFC. But when you look at the numbers, you know exactly what that was. And instead, uh, Chirico flips the script. Great performance. Natalie, he doesn't want to do post-fight interviews. How do you feel about that? Because I have my own thoughts. Well, it's bizarre because unless you are in a main event like the because his gripe was that no one wanted to interview me in the past right when i wasn't winning okay but when you're unless you're the main event of a of a um the b-side of a main event no one ever talks to the 
the loser, the loser, the loser guy, the, the fighter on the losing end. So how can you even have bitter grapes about that? That just makes zero sense to me to be a little bit disgruntled over not being interviewed when you were losing fights. Um, you know, get to the top and then they will talk to you. But up until then, you only get an interview when you win. And that's completely fair. Like they literally don't have enough time to do all those interviews. Now, as far as the the media scrums, you know, like, okay, that's in cage, right? As far as the scrums backstage, the same applies. That's just how it goes. I guess, you know, maybe there could be a case made for interviewing uh, the losing fighter if the fight is amazing. But there's just also, like, it's a matter of time. Like, there just isn't enough time to, to talk to everybody, to talk to every fighter. We do that on the front end, right? Um, depending on the size of an event and stuff. Even then, a lot of fighters don't get interviewed. It's just, you have to have a bit of a name or you have to have a good story. Like, there's got to be a reason we want to talk to you. So building up the desire for people to want to talk to you takes time. Now he's going to probably get it all the time, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody. So I don't know. <laughs> now what? Now that we want to talk to him, he doesn't want to talk to us. What do you think? You know what? When I think about the kind of emotions you go through, you already lose and then you feel like nobody nobody cares to talk to you, which is what I'm assuming he thought was happening. And to an extent, probably was happening, to be fair to him. That's a pretty rotten feeling. And so I certainly understand why he feels that emotion. What I will say is that I believe it was misdirected. For one, it's not like John Anik or Joe Rogan or what have you personally make this decision when they're walking into the cage. I'm only going to talk to the winner. That's a broadcast thing. That's a completely not out of any of the individuals who are out there holding the mic asking the question. Secondly, and to you know to peel back the curtain a little bit, if you worked um, a UFC event as media and you cover and you're back there with the scrums, we don't choose those people they bring in. We do not sit there and tell the person who works with the UFC, you know, uh, badge, hey, bring me X, bring me Y, bring me Z, fighter, and, you know, 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later after their fight, they're here. No, the, all of that they choose, you know, so it's not any media members, the John Morgans and the MMA fighting, MMA junkies, what have you, those people are not the ones saying we don't want to talk to DeSharico. That's all, you know, other people making those decisions and call it timing. You know, remember, for people who don't may not know this, we are doing all the post-fight scrums at the same time as the event. So, you know, we could be watching, we could be interviewing the fighter from fight number one, technically while fight number two is playing out. And depending on who it is or what we have to talk about, that could go a long time. Now, you add all of the losers also, you know, you can understand why they don't feel the need to bring in every single fighter from, you know, both sides in for an interview. That being said, that's not media making that decision. That's somebody else. So I do think that his frustration was misdirected. But I do understand it's a rotten feeling when people tell you they don't want to talk to you on top of the fact that you just lost a fight in front of everybody. But, I mean, is it so much that they're saying we don't want to talk to you or just that nobody goes up to you and says... I mean, like, no one's going up to you and saying, thank you for fighting. We're not going to speak to you today, right? 
like I said, I think that um he felt that was happening. And I'm sure that's happened with a few people who probably reach out to him for interviews. But by and large, I could tell you live, that's not a personal thing that the people asking questions are doing to him. So, like I said, I think his frustration is just misdirected at why he wasn't getting the interviews. No, but I mean, even the... I, I hear what you're saying on that front, but like the... It's the PR people, right? The marketing folks on the UFC or Bellator side that are going to communicate with the fighters and asking them to come out, right? Yeah. So, is it, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, okay, is he in the locker room and he sees the UFC guy go up to the person next to him and say, hey, they want to talk to you and then, like, you know, not acknowledge him? Is that what was happening in the past? Like, you know, it's not even, yeah, it's not even the media folks making those decisions. So why is he mad at them? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he thought that they were they were the ones making the requests. Okay. I guess uh, that's your point, right? Yeah, like I said, I think that it's just misplaced. Although I will be honest, it was surprising to hear that he also gave Dana White that attitude. He... I guess Dana White tried to congratulate him and DeSharico and the team were like, per Dana White, you know, WTF do you want was the impression he got. And he was telling us like, dang, like, that's an unhappy group, you know. So Dude, seriously, that, that's silly. That's kind of like... Not like with those on. words, but they gave him that vibe when Dana tried to congratulate them. And I was like, I mean, guys, you, you got he it. could have cut you. I mean, you know, like he could have cut him yeah. from the from the roster. So why be bitter about it? Like that losing streaks happen to everybody. Don't take it personally when no one talks to you after you lose. It's it's rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. So maybe we can move. We can yeah. move on. We could be here a while. Um, oh, yeah. by the way, uh, Carlos Condit, last fight of his UFC contract, got the win on Matt Brown. Do they bring him back, or is he an Anthony Pettis? He's moving on. Yeah, well, I, he, they're not gonna. I don't think they're going to bring him back. Like maybe they'll, maybe they'll extend an offer, but it's not going to be a thrilling one. He has already not fought very often in the last few years. Um, he can certainly go get a deal somewhere else. That's he's a name. He's still an exciting fighter. Like Carlos Condit, man, you want to see him scrap, and he'll scrap. Um, but he also has a lot of other ventures. You know, he has his coffee, hundred hands coffee. I keep seeing ads on Instagram for like a jean company, like a denim company that yeah, he has now. He, he's now got a you know endorsement deal with them uh yeah, he is so, a he is a brand ambassador ah i see i see okay well that's great you know so so there's other things to occupy him with but you know he's a fighter first i don't think the ufc is going to go out of their way to keep him or it's going to be a little bit like uh you know yoel and Pe anthony pettis and even Corey anderson like you know we're already paying you a lot of money and if you're going to ask for more, it's definitely a no. Um, we probably don't even want to pay you that much still if you stick around. So we can make more money off of these younger guys who require less um, less than their contracts. So, yeah, I think we'll see Carlos Condit probably at Bellator, would be my guess. I think it depends on how much, uh, what kind of deal Bellator has for him or the PFLs of the world. Uh, there will be a deal, don't get me wrong. I think that he's uh, in a spot where he can sign, but I think that the UFC is going to look at him, everyone's going to look at him, and it's going to be like, hey, you know, the fact is we don't see you being a champion. This is our, you. we're going to give you the fights and you win or lose, but, you know, we're not going to be giving you Jorge Masvidal in your next fight. 
after these two wins. So is Carlos okay, one, being in that phase at the UFC for at least another fight or two? If he wins, maybe he's changing that conversation. But for now, he's not going to get those big fights. So is he going to get a deal that's worth it to him to stay? Or is he going to try to test his worth on the free agent market? Um, I think you saw with Anthony Pettis, you know, I think he was looking to try to make waves rather than be, you know, a middle of the pack guy for UFC. And he got a good deal to do it. So that worked for him. Will Carlos get the same deal? Obviously, we got to wait and see. But um, I will say that I think that he has more worth to a PFL at this stage than he does to the UFC. I think that, you know, he's a great veteran. But I think that, you know, when you look at the Buckleys, now the DeSherico's coming on up, um, it will be difficult to say, hey, you know, give him that quote-unquote max deal for his uh, for his resume right now. Um, but quite yeah, a lot. I think uh, I think that um, after mulling it over a little bit right now, PFL probably is the place he's going to go because I'm thinking of Anthony Pettis and what he said about why he chose PFL, the format. He didn't have to worry about saying this or that to get a fight with this person. He didn't have to worry about you know tracking um, pay-per-views or his own path towards a title shot again like this is straightforward you win you go you win you go and so that would probably appeal to carlos condit because like you said people are probably looking at him and maybe he's looking at himself and thinking the same thing or wondering the same thing like can i do a make a traditional run which is actually you know rather not untraditional run (laughs) untraditional i should say um run for a belt at bellator like that's not a straight shot the way it is with pfl PFL would suit him best because you never know, man. He could do it. That's what's great about that tournament style. No, absolutely. Even Bellator, I think that he would still be quite the player in the mix. You know, remember, they don't have Rory McDonald, uh, Douglas Lima. You know, he's got the Neiman Gracies and the Ed Ruths coming up after him. But really, there's not that many veterans in that welterweight division right now that Carlos would be a great breath of fresh air in my in my opinion, just depending on if the offer is there that he likes. So, like I said, it's just food for thought. I want to move on because we do have some news and obviously I want us to give the time that the uh, the big event deserves. Leon Edwards, Hamzat Chemaev, March 13th, third time's the charm, we're hoping. Uh, real quick, just yes or no. Should they have a backup ready for March 13th? Like Wonder Boy or someone else in the co-main? Yeah, they should have a backup. I don't know if Wonder Boy would be interested, but anybody at this point should just be available. Like, you guys just got... I mean, I shouldn't say you guys. Chemayev already, obviously, has fought enough. Edwards needs to fight. So he should be prepared to fight anybody on March 13th, no matter what. I say, you know what? It, considering what I think is going on with this fight, I think that the winner coming up with uh, Kiesa Magni... I mean, if you walk out of it feeling pretty good, I say you'd be ready to make weight, honestly, because I think that if you're talking about getting a title fight, beating either one of those guys, uh, you know, it may get you in the talk. I don't know if it would secure it per se, but I do think that um, it definitely leapfrogs you a lot faster. And just with the track record, I hate to say for either of these guys, but 
Yeah, I my thing is yes. But put somebody on there. Put the leech on there. Um, Carlos Condit, maybe put him on there. Um, but the fact is, you need somebody. Uh, I mean, you need one of those guys to move forward already. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter to me who at this point. Um, yeah. Obviously, Leon could use it a lot more, all things considered. Um, real quick, uh, is this fight... I guess put it this way. Did you see the, you know, Li Jiang Liang changing up the welterweight division? Like, at this point, we know that the Usman-Burns fight is going to happen in February now. Is this still the title eliminator, do you think? I've been saying it is. I think it still is. But I just want to ask you, do you think anything's changed since then? No, I think it still is the title eliminator. Um, you know, we're waiting on, on that other fight that we've been talking about for a long time. But since that's not anywhere in sight, this is this is the title eliminator. It is what it is. I mean, yeah, that's just what it is what it is. The division has a lot of exciting players in it. But like where it is right now, it's not the most exciting <laughs> division um, as far as available matchups. Yeah, I think that, um, no, I get you. Look, like Wonder Boy, he's right there. He would be my pick to step into the main event if he was interested. Um, Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, like I said, this would be the fight they need. Um, I do believe the winner of that one's probably going to fight the Leech. Um, I'd even say him, you know, when you think about where Ponzinibbio was at and, you know, he was kind of coming up on a title shot pretty soon before he had to take the time off. So I do see the Chiesa, Magni, Leech all, you know, they should seriously consider it because I do think those guys, you know, if the Masvidals and the Leon Edwards and Colby, if they're tier one for title contenders, all those guys are in tier two that I just named. So I think that you want to make that jump and you don't want to wait till the middle of the year and possibly the fall to see who's available. I say stay ready because this could be a huge opportunity. Although obviously at this point, I do want to see this fight actually, you know, happen already. So, but yeah, I think that that's something, all the names, Kiesa, Magni, Leech, stay ready. This could be a big, big opportunity the way this is all gone. Um, uh, Natalie, USADA, now you will not have fights overturned. You will not be suspended for marijuana. All I can say is I know a lot of guys are happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) You've had a lot of guys have a couple overturned because they took short notice fights and, well, they've been smoking ahead of time. Uh, just general thoughts. What do you think? About time, for sure. Long overdue, but also that sucks. For like people that were already, you know, busted for it and had and penalized for it, you know, everything happens. Like it, it's anything that you know. You look back at when you know, or the beginning of the of the of the twentieth century. You know, the way people viewed cigarette smoke and how there was, um, you know, heroin and cough syrup, like just things like that. That once we know better, we do better. I feel like we've known better about marijuana for a long time. And that this is, is, uh, it took, uh, it took, they took their sweet time getting to, to this place. But again, it's great. But if I'm someone who's been busted for it, I'm, I'm pissed. Can I get some, uh, some retro pay or something? Like, can you make it up to me? Can you flip those back over? Yeah. 
I think that that should be explored. I will say that straight off the bat. Um, I will say, um, I think Dana White said it best. They're exploring it. But the fact is, you still can't be walking into a UFC fight or any fight high. So I think that, yeah, um, check impairment. I think that's the biggest thing. But yeah, considering everything else, I think that um, like everything else, I think that if you're proven it's not performance enhancing, then I think that you should be fine. And I think that that's just uh, that's just one of them with the rules as they are now. It's like, look, you know, as long as you're walking in clear and sound on fight night, you know, if you're trying to unwind a little bit before and, you know, people still have a bit of alcohol before a fight. If you're puffing a little something, hey, that's on you. Uh, but yeah, I do think that um, from what we know about it not being, you know, it doesn't make you hit harder. It doesn't make you move faster. It doesn't give you more cardio. I think people would argue it gives you less. Um, go for it. Yeah, let's go. Rock and roll. Do you think it affects cardio? You t- yes or no? I think it it has to, I, right? You mean like to slow it down? I mean, like put it this way: are you are your lungs as good if you're smoking anything? No, nothing. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Yes, yeah. I'm like I feel like this is common sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and like if people use it to relax, like you know, okay, it can relax your mind, but your body's relaxed too. Like you kind of want to be a little amped up don't you i don't know i mean, yeah, I mean i'll leave that up to, i'll leave that up to them but then it's like i'm 90 percent sure that in the end is more bad than good for your cardio yeah, smoke but smoke great <laughs> yeah it's like i mean you know I'm, I'm not gonna get into it but yeah like common sense um let's make a quick pit stop michael chiesa neil magny um this wednesday it's gonna be another early morning card so you know most likely you will have a winner before happy hour after work or, you know, when you get off work. So that'll be nice to catch the highlights. Or if you have the day off, go for it. Um, You know what, uh, Natalie? I feel like this could be Neil Magny's moment. He's tall. He's versatile. He can have those fights where he's just putting it together and you're wondering how the heck has this guy not gotten a little higher has not gotten a couple bigger fights and then i think about michael chiesa man he's just been on a good run at welterweight i think that his style really poses a lot of problems for a lot of these more athletic guys in the division he's just such a good grappler what are your thoughts on it yeah the grappling is sort of where i i come to uh and because i think they're both pretty good at that but yeah so yeah that's that's more his bread and butter and neil magnin you're so right that's it's it's one of those guys sort of like uriah hall where you always thought they were just gonna break through and they kind of always would a little and then they would have setbacks and stuff so i'm looking at at the uh, records here and yeah yes is on a three fight winning streak but he just fought once a year since 2018 you know so not a lot of reps there let's look at magni's record uh, indulge me for a moment here. I think. Um, yeah, I I know that yeah, I mean, Neil. He fought, he's used to busier. I know he was suspended a minute, if I'm not mistaken, and then um, 2019 he was a little more back to a regular schedule. Kiesa originally said he was kind of taking his time getting back because of his gym. You know, he didn't want to put more people at risk. 
And then he was injured a bit, so that kind of shut down his 2020 after January. Yeah, looking at Magni here, he fought in March of 2020, June of 2020, and then in August. All wins, all decisions. So that kind of seals the deal for me there. Um, I was leaning towards Magni anyway. I'm going to go with the uh, the man with the winning 2020. And uh, I think Neil Magni is going to do it. But um, Case, is, Case is like so hungry and scrappy too. It could be interesting. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Neil Magni. I'm going to call it the way he's been doing it. So I'm going to say decision, Neil Magni. You know what? I'm going to go third. Uh, you know what? Yeah, third round submission, Kiesa. Oh, you know, I'm going to go second. You know what? I think about, Um, I know this one feels like such an anomaly, but he had that, Magni had that quick loss to RDA, if you remember, by sub. He just got arm triangled yes. so yep, quick. Yep. And I'm like, you know, look, obviously, you know, I don't expect Kiesa to get anywhere near that time uh, uh, by far he he was not going to get that lucky but i do feel like that's a bit of an indicator i think that kiesa at the end of the day is a bigger welterweight i think that at this stage of the game he's just a little more he puts it together a little better from his striking to his grappling i think that um nowhere near as effective but i think that he tries to do a lot of what makes habib very good He's working on his hands to make it so he kind of, it just helps his wrestling, helps his grappling flow so much better. And I think that that's just really what he's going to do. I think that he's going to make it ugly. It's not going to be pretty like he said, but I think he's going to get after Neil a little bit, try to get inside. And he's just going to try to wear him down, just make him tired. And I think that, um, quite bluntly, I think that Neil's height and range is going to hurt him in this one. Because I do believe that Kiesa at the end of the day is going to be able to get in. And I think at the end of the day, when he gets him down, he's probably going to get to the positions he needs for that earlier finish. Not quick, but I do think it'll happen in the first two frames. Okay. That would be more exciting than my prediction. I mean, <laughs> you know. Five, or going five rounds, yeah. Hey, if you told me, well, Max and Calvin are going to go five rounds, did you think it would be that cool to watch? So... And that was a one-sided fight. Okay, that was cool. Not that cool. I'll I'll say this. That might be one of the most... That I'll say this. That was the most exciting one-sided fight I've seen that I can remember. Yeah. Like, very few few fights are that fun being that one-sided. Don't know how else to cut it. I think it's because the element of danger was always there with Calvin Cater, you know? Yeah. But, um... Oh my gosh, I'm going to use this line. I need to save this. That was a genius one. I need to write that. Hold on, where's my pen? I need to write that down. Anyway, um, uh, okay, so we are split. Kiesa, Magni. Um, Natalie, I'm ready to talk about the fun stuff. How about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, so we're going to ta- start um, bottom up. Let's go ahead and talk about um, Michael Chandler taking on Dan Hooker. So, Chandler, if you have not been introduced to who this guy is, let me talk to you about him. Former Bellator champion. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I I don't know who is technically leaves on top right now. I believe it is still Pitbull. Wait. 
they may actually be tied right now in one category, but Michael Chandler, leading up to his fight with Pitbull, Patricio Pitbull last year, they were tied for the most wins in Bellator championship fights. They were tied for the most victories in general in Bellator. Essentially, Michael Chandler achieved just about everything statistically that you could in the promotion. Um, he's got wins over Eddie Alvarez, Benson Henderson. Um, he's done just a lot of great work. He's kind of been very consistent over the course of his career. Dan Hooker. Obviously, he's a guy who is a bit of a slow burn in his UFC career, but he has officially reached that status. I think that his fight with Dustin Poirier opened um, a lot of people's eyes. This guy is a very high-level lightweight. He is very dangerous. He is very durable. And stylistically speaking, this is this has the all the ingredients to be a very good fight if it's not stopped early on either side. So there's a lot to like about it. What about you? Definitely. Dan Hooker's awesome. He's a scrapper. He's going to come in. And, you know, usually when, when fighters come from Bellator into the UFC, you know, their opponent wants to make sure that they're... It sort of reminds me of... Um, do you remember that show, The O.C.? Is that? Are you too young for that? I do know what it is. I'm not going to act okay. like I'm well-versed well, on it. I, I know that there's both the O.C. and the real O.C. I do know that. Yeah. <laughs> You want to welcome the the new guy in, and and probably not the nice way, right? You want to show them who's king, and and you're in the UFC, and so you're king. So Dan Hooker's probably looking to do something like that to to establish that just because you were champion at Bellator, remember that we're still top dog. I'm in the UFC. I'm a top dog, and I'm going to come in and show you that. So that's the attitude I'm expecting from Dan Hooker. I'm also hoping to see that because that will make a great scrap. But Michael Chandler is tough. He walks around. With this look on his face, it's almost like um, arrogance. Saw, like he's in a bit of a bad mood. Like he's a little annoyed all the time. A little annoyed all the time. And it's just, you know, I think he's just confident. And also probably I think he's really in, in his own mind just always thinking about fighting or whatever it is that's the main focus in whatever period. But, you know, when we see him, it's fighting. And that he's just obsessed with it. I I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast years ago talking about how much he had to work on his mind game, his own, you know, power of his mind and and visualizing victory because if he didn't visualize it then his body and his mind couldn't come together in the moment to produce victory because he couldn't even see it for himself that was the point that he was making and that's how one of the things that he's improved upon um was working on it to improve so i think these guys are going to get after it what's interesting to me is the height difference michael chandler has himself listed at least in typology as at being at 58 I don't think that's true. I was re-watching the Benson Henderson fight. He looks Bendo looked at least two to three inches taller than him, and Bendo's listed at five nine, which seems right, just having stood next to him. Dan Hooker's six feet. So let's say Michael Chandler. You can correct me, but I think he looks more like he's five six. And so that's a big height difference. We'll see it when you know they stand opposite each other, but that's a big height difference. Okay, fine. Michael Chandler's probably used to fighting guys bigger than him anyway. But there's also something I look at, which is how have Bellator fighters fared in the UFC? Will Brooks, not so hot. Marlon Moraes, he lost his debut fight, but then he did very well. And then kind of now, you know, a little bit of a, a bump in the road, but I'm sure he'll have a resurgence. Or, I'm sorry, Marlon Moraes didn't come from Bellator. I take that back. 
WSOF, um, but I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was somebody else now. I can't remember who. Okay, in any case. Um, it's hard to come from another promotion to go up into the UFC when you're already a name, right? Like, I think we can agree on that. So, a lot of pressure on Michael Chandler. But I think... Um, pressure on Dan Hooker, but more pressure on Michael Chandler. Like, this is a big deal for him, right? Former champion at Bellator. This is where he can prove, I'm the best. And if he can do it, that's going to be great for him. But I don't think he'll be able to do it against Dan Hooker. I think Dan Hooker is going to have an answer for everything that Michael Chandler throws at him. What Michael Chandler will have in his favor is the heavy hands, the lunge forward style. But Dan Hooker is going to, I think, kick the legs out from under Michael Chandler. And we already saw what Brent Primus did that one time when he lost, uh, when he defeated Chandler for the belt. Not that that's going to happen again, but I think that's going to be the way that Dan Hooker weakens Michael Chandler and then, ultimately we'll be able to defeat him. Um, I won't get into how I think it's going to go just yet, but I, I'm I'm already showing my cards here. I think Dan Hooker's going to get the win. So for me, I think, the, um, real quick, I do want to say, I think that Michael Chandler, he's got a bit of that Robbie Lawler quality, and what I mean is that um, he is here, and he understands you know the media part of it and all that, and so... You know, he is not always scowling. I have spoken with him and he's been, you know, perfectly pleasant. Um, But I have seen a bit of that, you know, he kind of just has that air about him. He's he's clocking in for work and he's not here to mess around. And mind you, that is that has carried a lot of guys to a lot of great victories. Um, I think that with Chandler, he is a little shorter. He's kind of like Volkanovsky. He's just so built and compact. He packs a lot of muscle on his frame. And that's a big thing about him is that he has a very difficult cut. He is, I've heard him say in interviews, has he improved it? Possibly, but he says he takes the full camp to make 170 and he's not out of shape. So he's just, he's that size lightweight. Um, he does crouch in a low stance. I think part of that is because he wants to explode, whether it's with his wrestling or if he really want to, wants to just lunge with those big power shots. And look, that mixes it up. That makes him more unpredictable. So I think that's why he does also... He is a little shorter, but he also... He fights a little lower, if that makes sense. Um, I think the thing about this fight that I keep coming back to is that with Michael Chandler, similar to Volkanovski again, um, very low low base. I think that his thing is going to be try to show him the hands and just blast double all day. I think that he wants to wear on Dan Hooker. Everyone wants a nice knockout and all that. And we're going to get into Habib and Dana White and spectacular, quote unquote. Um, what I will say is that I think that his be- the best weapon on either side is Chandler's wrestling. I think that use that power of yours, make Dan Hooker respect the hands and just get him down. Just use the wrestling. This is a three-round fight, mind you. I think that yeah. hugely favors uh, Michael Chandler because even if it's not going well, he can really expend a lot of power. Use it. He fights with a lot of physicality. He kind of wants to get in your face. He makes, you know, similar to Max Holloway uh, yesterday. He kind of wants you to feel that pressure because then he has his openings with his power. Or, you know, he gets you worried about it and it's easier to take you down. Dan Hooker, I expect to have a lot more composure than a lot of Michael Chandler opponents. 
That being said, I think that Dan Hooker, he really needs to keep this fight at mid-range. He's really got to just avoid getting in the pocket with Michael. Suddenly becomes a lot closer fight. But that being said, I also think, go back to it once again, Michael Chandler knows that's exactly what this tall, dangerous striker wants to do, is keep me on the outside. His entire camp has to be getting in, getting my shots in, working the body, get him down. Um, I think that tips about my hand. I will say it is not going to be the prettiest. I think Dan Hooker is going to show up. He's going to be ready to defend his name, defend UFC turf, so to speak, like I said. But I think the wrestling of Michael Chandler makes this just a little too difficult. I think that's going to be enough to get him those close rounds if he can't knock him out. So I have Michael Chandler unanimous decision. I hear what you're saying, and and uh, that fight could very well go the way you're describing with Chandler using his wrestling for purposes of my entertainment. I hope it doesn't because I'd like to see something a little a little more uh, hands on, if you will. Uh, hands up hands on but um yeah okay that that that's completely likely and you definitely know michael chandler okay he wants to make a good impression but i think more importantly he wants to just win at any at, 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 at any way he can and that's probably what's going to make him use that wrestling until he can't use it no more and um okay yeah i can see that i hope like i said i hope i don't see that but i could definitely see that happening uh, my prediction, though, is for Dan Hooker to to uh, wear Michael Chandler down with leg kicks, body kicks, and I think he's going to be able to land a really nice head kick. And I predict a TKO in round three. No, I'm oh, with man. you. I'm with you. Uh, you know, you kind of gave me that uh, pause. Let me ask you, on the feet, how do you expect it to be close or not so close if they get into a striking battle? I think I think there will be moments, competitive moments, where they do go back and forth. But I think Dan Hooker, as you said, is going to stay out of out of range. Um, he's not going to be in close quarters because he doesn't want to. He might want to scrap, and he's good at it, but he doesn't want to give Michael Chandler a chance to take him down. So I think he's mostly going to use leg kicks. But Chandler, you know, at least a, a little bit in each round is going to do what shorter guys usually do, which is lunge, overhand looping shots. And I'm prepared for Dan Hooker to greet him with some knees, um, some elbows, uh, or just catch him with a kick coming in. So I think legs, Dan Hooker using his legs will be a, a the, will be what you're going to see most, um, and that's going to get him the win. I think for Dan Hooker, he's going to have to establish that early because I think that um, you know Michael Chandler is going to come you know ready to show off those guns in the first few minutes of the fight, right? I think that's safe to say. Yep. Um, he's got heavy kicks. I do like Dan Hooker if he can get going early. I think that that was one of those things with Poirier. I think that's, um, w- with that fight, it was a lot of ebb and flow. I think that Dan Hooker really has to, he's going to have to step into the fire a little bit. But if he could take that wind away from Michael Chandler early, I see exactly what you're saying. But He's going to have to take a bit of the fire early. I think that's one of the things about Dan Hooker. He doesn't have that clean one-shot stopping power that you're going to need to get the respect to make Chandler hesitant early enough. And I think that's going to make it so exciting. <laughs> okay. Um, real quick. Um, so did you see the Habib announcement? Everyone was talking about it. Okay. Um, 
uh, what's the quickest way to say it? Habib says, Dana White says Habib used the word spectacular. Um, for the sake of our argument, I do believe he wants to be very impressed. I will just say it right now. I do not see Habib, no matter what outcome comes out on Saturday, being impressed with Chandler, Hooker, or Connor or Poirier. What I could see happening from the impression I got from Dana and feeling a bit of reading between the lines is that while he is not completely closed on a Connor Poirier rematch, I think that it's more than likely Habib may want Charles Oliveira straight up or maybe Charles fights the winner of Connor and Poirier rather than the original plan of um, Chandler getting the winner of that fight. I'll just say bluntly, Habib 30-0, after everything we know, respectfully, he's already beaten Conor and Poirier, and I just feel like business-wise, and maybe competitively, he isn't coming back to fight a guy who wasn't even in the promotion 12 months ago. And I think that that's just where Habib is at. I think that he sees Charles Oliveira 7-8 fight win streak right now in the UFC lightweight division, just beat Tony Ferguson, dominated Tony. I think that Habib sees that as the last guy, if not straight up, then maybe build him off the back of Connor and Poirier possibly. But I just don't see uh, Habib, no matter what happens, getting the light, the main event winner. And I'm going to toss it to you. What do you think about how it all plays out? First, I wish that Dana White had just left him alone. Like, he retired. It was a fine ending. But then we got those cool TikToks and the 10-second video of a door opening and we're acting like it was breaking news. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Just leave the man alone. Okay, but you got him in the office. Okay, fine. You talk to him. Great. I think that Dustin Poirier could have a great performance against Conor McGregor and Khabib would say, nah, that's all right. I already beat him. It's fine. Conor McGregor. If he does something like, I can't even imagine what level of spectacular against Dustin Poirier, I think that's the only way you get Khabib to say, yeah, I'll give Connor another shot. Because otherwise, why go through all that nonsense of the, the press conference and the, the back and forth? And the way he beat him was pretty darn sound. He made him tap. Like, there's nothing more to be said there. Of course, I want to see it again. Connor wants it. Uh, everybody wants to see it. But Khabib... You know, it's. I think he almost. It's almost like he put that out there, just to burn, especially Connor, so that no matter how well he fights, if he should win, no matter how well he fights, Khabib will be the one who will tell the world, yeah, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to bring me back, and that is kind of, uh, you know, like right through the heart, right? So that's some. You know, talking about Khabib always being ice cold. That's some ice cold shit to say. Oh yeah, if you're good enough, uh, maybe, and he's gonna no matter what he will not pick Conor McGregor. So uh, would he pick Michael Chandler? I like your perspective. No, um, you're just, you're brand new to the UFC. You're, you're known, but you're not well known enough for me to come back. Um, so Charles Oliveira, of course, has had an excellent run, exciting fighter, demolished Tony Ferguson. And Tony was that, you know, that, that one person that everyone thought could beat Khabib. And now it's too late. The fight was never made. He's two. He's zero and two. But uh, I still can't picture myself hearing Khabib say, "Yeah, I'll come back to fight Charles Oliveira." 
like what do you what do you get out of it? I mean, he's not doing it for the money. Is it just for you know? Just you know, because he's a fighter and he wants to test himself against the best. Okay. But like, okay, I'll, I'll end this with the question: Is he still technically the champion at lightweight? Yes, I thought ma'am. he vacated. Is he, nope. is he, so he didn't officially. He's, he's still on that little thing on USC.com. I mean, I'm looking at it and I see his face, but you know, just, <laughs> it's like I see his face, but I don't know if it's right. I see his face. He's holding a belt, but like I could have sworn that, like, you know, well, I, he's only on there because the UFC didn't want to accept his retirement, right? Yeah. Um. Okay. So if he's still the champion, okay, then I guess we we wait and see, but. I don't like it. I think he should have just retired, walked off into the sunset. Because, yeah, I'll tune in to watch him fight Charles Oliveira. But really, the only person I care about seeing him fight is Conor McGregor, frankly. And that's never going to happen. Yeah, I think that, um, I don't know if you listened to Conor this morning, but even Conor said, let's be honest, he does not want it. And I completely agree with him. I Everything I have heard about from Habib, from his mouth... Um, every impression I've gotten says that he has nothing more to prove against Conor McGregor besides getting paid once again. Um, would it be fun? Yes. Could Conor still catch him? Yes. But what what is that worth to Habib? He has nothing to prove there the way that fight went. Um, Conor had plenty of time on the feet and it didn't happen. So I think that Habib sits and he rests on that pretty well. Um once again i think that he sees it i'm sure that dana's gonna try to push the connor rematch if connor wins if poirier wins i think that we can pretty much kiss that one goodbye um but i will say that if connor or poirier were then to fight charles Oliveira, charles wins i think that could make it enticing for habib the new king you know proving he's still at the top of the game i think that's a possibility but just connor off yet off next saturday or just dustin i don't know i just don't see that happening i just really don't so i think there's wiggle room for charles to get there which is why i said i think that habib essentially stole chandler's fight with the winner of the main event but um if dan hooker wins you know i Dan Hooker, I think, still has work to do. I don't think they're going to give him, you know, uh, Poirier or Connor. Certainly not Poirier, but he might have to go through a Justin Gaethje before he's talking about the winner of that fight. So I think that that's um, that's just where we're at. I think that there's wiggle room for Charles Oliveira, but I would be very shocked if he honestly takes anything else. He just doesn't have it. It's just not worth it. The same reason, you know, Amanda Nunes Valentina respectfully what's in it for amanda nunez anymore Uh, there's plenty for valentina of course valentina wants it what does amanda nunez have to prove by beating uh valentina possibly three times it's uh, easy negotiating and these are all businessmen on top of fighters so like i said i I mean i'm not gonna say it a third time you get where i'm at but um yeah i will say that does change things up i think michael chandler probably saw that and was salty but here we are. Welcome to the <sighs> UFC, Michael Chandler. Nobody gonna, knows who you are. I'm gonna Just say th- I'm gonna set this up now, though, Natalie. But Dustin Poirier, if Habib's not there, he still has a lot of fights on the table if he wins. And we all know, look, he was the guy who couldn't really get over the hump, 
he did finally get to the title contention, and I think he is finally beating those fights. I'm going to just take Habib out of it, because Habib's a whole nother animal for literally everybody he's ever fought, right? <laughs> yeah. But Dustin, I mean, when you look at, he finally turned the corner against Gaethje, and the times he faced adversity in that fight, and against Eddie Alvarez, and the what he did to Max Holloway. You know, he's he's at the level we all thought he could reach. And then there's Conor McGregor. I don't got to tell you this. People who don't care to watch this any other week of the year will be buying pay-per-view on Saturday. That is who Conor McGregor is. That That is who he is in the world of sports. He is that dude. Now, what I love about this fight for Conor is that all he's got to do is win, and he's in a title fight. Habib doesn't come back, he's fighting Charles for the title. Maybe he's fighting Chandler for the title. All I know is that Conor wins, he, he's getting in there with somebody with a chance to return to gold. And anyone will tell you, if you know anything about this business, the UFC makes the most business when their biggest stars hold the belt. There's no star bigger than Conor McGregor. All of the big fights suddenly open up, moving up, fight Kamaru, go back down 145. Maybe fight Jorge Masvidal, try to get the BMF gold and your UFC gold. All of that opens up. And Connor, when you think about where he was at, losing to Habib, the layoffs, etc. The fact that he has a chance to kind of regain his status on top of the MMA world, I think is a very, you know, the prospect of it is very exciting. He's got a very tough fight in front of him. He's got two fights in front of him to get that spot back if I'm being honest but just let's focus on Saturday Dustin Poirier is coming for revenge I don't care he's a nice guy but I don't care what he says he wants to get a piece of that back from a couple years ago yeah absolutely go Um, ahead take it away sorry I usually I usually set it up for you better my bad I got excited (laughs) go for it I was getting excited hearing you to hype it up, so I was just like, uh uh-huh, on the edge. It's like, oh, man, this is going to be good. Like, this is a good fight. Yes, this is amazing. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, Dustin Poirier wants it back. You know, there's no animosity like there was before the first fight when you go back and watch that footage they were barking at each other, and Poirier was just so hyped up because Connor was really getting under his skin. This time around... It all started with this friendly, you know, let's have a charity match and I'll give money to your charity. I'll fly you to Dublin. Very gentlemanly. However, you know these guys are coming in for blood. Dustin wants revenge. He wants a win. Connor wants to reestablish himself as the man. Now, he is still the biggest star in MMA, even though he hasn't fought since last January. But he wants, he wants that view from the top. If he does beat Dustin Poirier, as you said, the world is his oyster and the UFC in the world of combat sports, frankly, but probably, you know, Dana White's going to say, just sit your butt down in the octagon. You're not going to go fight in any ring anytime soon. But the world will be his oyster. He can have whatever he wants. Now, he shouldn't fight Jorge Masvidal. I'll say that again, just because that's a terrible matchup. But there's plenty of options for him, should he win. Uh, but but Dustin Poirier, man, I mean, so much is on the line for both of them. The biggest question I have in my mind is, are they just going to stand there and scrap? Or who's going to go for the takedown first, right? Like, Connor probably wants to show off how much more he's improved with his grappling game. Dustin's no joke on the ground. Um, but, you know, these guys are known for, for for punching. Now, 
Dustin is more of a scrapper than Connor because Connor has only really had to scrap against Nate Diaz. Otherwise, he just goes in there and beats people pretty quickly. But you know he's got it in him. And just the look in his eyes, if you follow his social media, his Instagram, you can tell he's ready. His body looks completely changed. He posted something last week, I think, where it's uh, two photos of him from, the I think, the Mendes fight and the, no, the Alvarez fight and the Jose Aldo fight. And he says, I would destroy both of those versions of myself. You know, that's exciting. That's what we want to hear. And I, I believe him. I really do believe Conor McGregor is better than he has been. So going back to my the question that I always have when I think about this fight is how are they gonna how are they gonna do it? Like these are guys that mostly want to strike, mostly want to stand and and um, and hit each other. Now, as I said, Dustin's more of a scrapper. Connor picks his shots. He's got that timing, that precision, that speed. But there's something here for, for Connor. If he's if he's here in Khabib, <laughs> is he gonna try to show off his grappling? That's what I want to know. What do you think? Uh, you say you mean sorry, Poirier using his grappling? Did I understand that right? No, uh, or no, Connor? So I'm saying it's Connor because of what Khabib has been saying about. Oh, okay. I want someone to show me something spectacular. I think in that regard, Connor has more to prove in the grappling uh, arena than Dustin Poirier, My even bad. though they both finished. I, I want um, to make so sure I understood what you're saying. Okay, okay. You know what? Oh, I'm. We all know what looks spectacular to Connor. And um, let's be honest, you're telling me that somebody is going to do something in grappling that impresses Habib? <laughs> okay. I, I, mean, may, I mean, tell me three guys off the, the top of your head who can do that. Nobody. I mean, even Damien Maya, I feel like he has to get creative. Um, Mackenzie, maybe. I don't off the top of my head, that's a very difficult ask, right? Um, I, my thing, my point is, I can't say that um, that will electrify anybody, although it would be cool. Um, you know what? For me, the big thing is the control of the distance. Conor McGregor, even though he uses mostly just his hands, he is a little bit like Israel Adesanya in that way. His ability to get in and get out. It is one of the best, and that's what carried him to two titles um, on top of his explosive power, obviously, as well. I think that Poirier, from a technical standpoint, he is probably one of the best at using all of his weapons. He's got punches, kicks, submission game. He's got all of that in a bag of chips. I, I think the one thing, you know, respectfully, he probably doesn't have that lights-out wrestling um, I think even Justin Gaethje is probably just a little bit better in terms of straight get you down and keep you there if he had to. But Dustin Poirier, you still have the argument. He's one of the best, if not arguably one of the most multifaceted lightweights out there in the entire sport right now. I think that for me, Poirier victory really depends on him um getting in Connor's face early and he's got to use all the weapons he's got to work the body he's got to work the legs he's got to be disciplined get in and out with the hands he's got to be on that now if he does he most likely will be ahead on the scorecards going into like the third round if not does the damage and starts to create his own opening early for Connor 
it's not going to be as clean. You'll notice a lot of Connor's victories that are so great, they're always one-sided and fast. Mm-hmm. He never has to really, you know, break someone down. He kind of almost is already there. Cowboy, Aldo, Eddie. Um, Nate Diaz almost, I don't ever count it because it's at 170. And when you look at the two of them, it's such a, that's such a, you know, unicorn of a fight and the circumstances and their weight. So for me, when I look at it, I think that Connor, he's got to get in and out. He's got to do damage. He's got to be like a viper. He's got to be, if you watch Cobra Kai, like I know a lot of people are, strike hard, strike fast. Because I think that any a lot of waiting, a lot of patience, in my opinion, all that's going to do is favor Poirier. I think Poirier has all of the know-how this time. He's improved so much that I do think that he's going to be able to pick apart Connor the longer the fight goes. I think if Connor gets in his face early, I think he starts to have that mental advantage. And I do think that he's just got the physical tools in his power to get that knockout. And so that makes it a very fun fight. It ends with one of them just letting the hands go and putting someone down. I know that for sure. Natalie, it's that time. (laughs) Okay. If you have any more to add to the X's and O's, feel free, but we need to tell somebody who's going to win on Saturday. Yes, and I will do that right now. I'm going to pick Conor McGregor. Um, I I feel like we're going to see more from him than we have in the past. I mean, the Cerrone fight was so fast. And yeah, most of his fights were really fast, but we're going to get a chance to see everything in his tool bag because Dustin's going to take it to him. I still think Connor is going to be able to uh, hurt Dustin with those hands, with that left hand, even though Dustin at 155 can take a heck of a punch. I mean, you saw him, you saw how he responded to Justin Gaethje. But I think Connor McGregor is going to land uh, in just the right way. But it's going to take a while. Now, I'm going to go ahead and gamble that Connor McGregor's cardio is not going to be an issue anymore. Um, but even as I say that, I get nervous because that's always been like his, his greatest detriment. But in any case, I'm going to pick Conor McGregor TKO round four. I think they're going to be going back and forth. I think it's going to be a dogfight. Um, I think Dustin Poirier is going to catch Conor McGregor with a lot of combinations, like just flurry, head, body, head, body. But Conor McGregor can take a punch, and I think when he lands back, he's going to be more precise, and he's going to pick his shots. And I think he's going to land something that's going to really hurt Dustin. And by that point, they'll be going have been going back and forth. Dustin will be a little soft, just a little. The power's still going to be with Conor. TKO round four. That's what I see. But damn, this could go anyway, man. It makes me nervous because I really feel like Dustin is going to come ready, dude, ready. Like I said, the thing for me is that any way you slice it, Dustin Poirier is so dangerous. He's very good. He's just been more durable lately. It just a lot of those sequences that always seem to put him down, they just don't happen anymore. Um my thing about Conor McGregor, and I will say this, is that he is you know, he is a very smart guy on social media. He doesn't post a lot of him tra- he posts a lot of flexing. Mm-hmm. You don't ever see him posting a lot of in the gym, throwing hands, sparring. 
So he kind of makes you feel like he's kind of doing it for aesthetic. He's doing it to show you he looks good, um, right? I would say, though, that when you think about Connor, I feel like when you're a guy like that, as much as he probably loves getting in the business room and making money off his whiskey, I think the thing that motivates a guy like that when you have a pandemic is you hit the gym and you just Mm -hmm. work. I think that Conor McGregor has been working. I, I think do. that he's um he's been sneaky about it. He wants you to think he's just been chilling in his big house with all of his money. No, I, I think that he's been working and I think that's going to be the thing. I do think that he his defense and his just his attack is going to be a little more multifaceted than we're used to. I think that he's going to have a couple more weapons when he gets in and out. And I think that um, I think when you see that, I think it's gonna shock Poirier a little bit. I think he's gonna be ready for a Connor who only uses his hands. I think that Connor's gonna bring a lot more, like Brian Ortega did against Zombie, and it's gonna look a little different. And I think that that's gonna carry Connor to a victory. And like I said, him fighting for the title, you can believe the UFC is gonna hype that up like their biggest fight of the year. I'd say that. I mean, there's. Three fights that are going to be big is that possibly Connor fighting for the title, John Jones against anybody, and Masvidal Covington. Those are going to be the three biggest fights. And Connor knows a win puts him in that conversation. We're talking about Fourth of July, sell out. You know, wherever we're going, we're selling tickets, making money. Yeah, I got you though. I I got Connor too. I think okay. that um the hard work. You know what? <sighs> Let's have some fun. First round knockout. You know. Ooh. Ooh-hoo. And I you like know it. what? I think he's going to bring back that icy left hand of death. I think straight left just going to starch Poirier. Just one shot ends it and it's going to blow everyone away. Dude. I mean, I would love to see that not... Not because I want to see Poirier. Like, I want to see Connor do that to anybody. So, I, you know, it sucks for it to happen to Poirier, but damn, that would be thrilling. Woo! Classic Connor. I like it. And there we have it. It's been another long show. <laughs> we keep going longer, so thank you for following along. But, yeah, we seem to be... We're split on the co-main. We, I have Chandler. Uh, Natalie has Dan Hooker. We are in agreement. Connor McGregor is going to get it done. Um, we are split on Wednesday. Kiesa, I have Kiesa. She's got Magni. Um, you know what, Natalie? It's going to be a good week of mixed martial arts. And we Heck should be yeah. glad because following next next week's show, we will have nothing to preview. So we'll have a lot of time to recap. Okay. Our favorite. <laughs> yes. But yeah. So guys, thank you for following along. Do take care of yourself and we'll be back next week.